1: Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now here's your host, Jay Taylor.
2: Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on this the 12th day of December 2017. I do want to remind you, I am the author of Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. It's a uh, weekly and a monthly newsletter. You can go uh, to MiningStocks.com to sign up for my letter. MiningStocks.com or call our number here in New York during normal work hours, 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. Also, like uh, you to consider subscribing to Chen Lin's excellent newsletter, What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And uh, We have Chen on this show from time to time. He has some just some great ideas, works extremely hard. Uh, to uh, to know when to buy them and when to sell them, and has done a remarkably good job for himself as well as his subscribers. So you might want to consider ChenPicks.com. Go there to sign up for Chen's letter. Want to thank each of you for listening to the show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. Also, uh, want to suggest that you keep your questions, qu- your comments, criticisms, and praises coming along. Uh, send them to questions for taylor at gmail.com. Questions, the number 4, taylor at gmail.com. We do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. This week's sponsors are Aron Resources, Bontero Resources, New Range Gold Corp., Novo Resources, Genesis Metals Corp., and Klondike Gold Corp. I've titled today's show, Is America Approaching Hyperinflation? Charles Hugh Smith visits for the first time. Robert Carrington and Michael Oliver will be with me momentarily. Uh, join me again this week. Now, something is hugely wrong with our government's CPI index. I think most of you would probably agree with that. Their inflation statistics suggest that the cost of living is rising by less than 2% a year, but the living standard of the bottom 95% of Americans, at least, suggests otherwise. Part of the middle class decline has resulted from disappearing higher-paying, low skilled jobs but uh, of even greater significance is the relentless rise in the cost of life-sustaining essentials and the foundation of the economy like education, health care, energy, labor, etc. Charles uh, Hugh Smith will um, be asked to explain his views on what is what are the origins of the, of this uh, of the decline of the middle class. Why are costs going up so much? Why are wages disappearing? And uh, you know what? How can we plan uh, for that in the future if it continues? After our first commercial break, a few minutes from now, Robert Carrington will update us on the New Range Gold Corp. project. It's called the Pamlico Project in North. Well, it's along the Walker Trend in Nevada and uh, next to some very high-grade gold mines. Robert's a uh, very exciting story. Certainly one that I cover in my newsletter and one that I have invested in personally as well. But right now, we're very privileged once again to have Michael Oliver with us to give us his latest thoughts um, on the markets. And specifically today, I think he'll comment um, more so on gold perhaps than in most days. But before I say hello to Michael, just let me tell you, uh, implore you to go to OliverMSA.com. OliverMSA.com. Uh, Consider signing up for Michael's uh, excellent newsletter, I get it, and so many missives come through each week, more than we uh, have any chance to talk about here, nor should we, because Michael needs to earn a living, but he is kind enough to pass along some very key ideas uh, and um, the results of his work uh, to you, free of charge. Thanks, Mike, for joining us today.
3: Hi, Jay, great to be back.
2: Always good to have you. And uh, how did jury duty go?
3: Uh, it was a w- w- wasted half day as is usual, and then uh, goodbye. Yeah. We don't need you. <laughs> yeah, I got my check yesterday. Twelve dollars.
2: <laughs> oh wow! Well, I mean, uh, all right. So how many hours was that? Uh, three well, or four about hours, four probably or five,
3: so, sitting in a room. People calling well, I mean, all that's... Over each other. <laughs>
2: Certainly yeah. not uh, minimum wage, is it? Even down there yeah. in uh, in the I south we live. Yeah. Well, anyway. All right. Know. Civic duty. Civic duty. We yeah, uh, right. love to do our civic duty. Okay. <laughs> well. All right. Forget about uh, the commentary and the and the, and the uh, baloney here. Let's get into the real stuff. Gold. Uh, twice before this year, I believe, Michael, if, I, if memory serves me correctly, you sort of drawn a line in the sand and said if, and not based on price, but based on your momentum work, if mm-hmm. gold were to fall below that level. You would turn neutral, not bearish, mm-hmm. but neutral. Now, mm-hmm. we just now, I mean, and in both of those cases, it came very close within a whisker. Gold turned back up, and you never even turned neutral. You've been bullish the whole time.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Now we have another test at this time, and you mentioned you know, we came within a whisker of your line in the sand of 1246. I think it was 1246.20.
3: 1245, it, weekly close below 1245. Using uh-huh. the nearby front month, which is still December contract, though it's still liquid, but it is still the front month. Okay. Last week closed 12:45:20. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and this time I'm using the weekly close. Now, uh, uh, let me caution: uh, there is no way, based on long-term momentum of gold, annual momentum in particular. When you look at a gold price chart and you look at annual momentum, you get two different pictures. And annual momentum is so. Uh, it's copacetic. It is not breaking anything. It's not threatening to break anything. It's only price that's saying boo. And price has said boo you know, two, three, four times in the last year and a half. Yeah. Uh, and each time it says it, people run screaming from the room. And mm-hmm. yet the annual momentum still buoys the market. It holds. And right now, well, no, gold's not up that much. It's up 7 8% on the year. Yeah. Okay? You know, and it's given back a lot in the last month, uh, last few months. Uh, Short term gold looks like it's oversold and due for a bounce, and by bounce, I mean a fifteen dollar rally mm-hmm. now it may if it does close a week below twelve forty five settlement price mm-hmm. um, then you know i'll might go to neutral numbers and play, but I thought about that over the weekend, and I issued a report yesterday that's offered a different alternative or choice for the long term gold investor or the gold mining investor,
4: mm-hmm.
3: and that is put a band aid on it. Don't exit, don't go to neutral, buy puts. And the puts to buy, uh, I think there's no need to buy out puts that are six months out into the future. February GLD puts, GLD is the bullion ETF, very liquid. February options expire mid-February, gives you more than two months. My assessment of monthly momentum of gold, and it's taking it down a time scale, from annual to monthly, three-month average oscillator I'm looking at, it tends to swing in four to six month bars in one direction or another. Uh, and six is highly rare, by the way. In fact, the last three years I haven't had a six month swing in, in an oscillator since before 2013. They've all mm-hmm. stopped at either four or five months swinging in one direction or swinging in the other. This is month four, which tells me the likelihood of the window remaining open for the bears mm-hmm. might be another month. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but their clock is getting short. So whatever they're going to do to gold, they better do it now and they better do it by the end of January. Otherwise it's highly likely their clock is out and gold is just going to halt and turn from wherever it is, or maybe turn even before then. Mm-hmm. Therefore, if you're concerned, I don't think you need to go out and buy, puts six months out and pay a lot of money for them. Mm-hmm. I think you can buy out of money at the money puts on GLD fairly cheaply because you're only going out to February. And, uh, if the gold market explodes from here, well, you're going to lose on your puts, but you'll hold your core position. Mm-hmm. That's my preferred uh, recommendation to people. Now, everybody's different; everybody has different risk tolerances, different portfolio sizes. It may be in miners or gold, but basically, this is a, a parachute or a band aid. I called it that uh, can solve the problem right now. But I only think the band aid needs to be on for about another month or so, and that's it. I uh, think the right. risk is, you know, anyway.
2: All right. Well, that's good advice. I mean, that's a good way to play it, I would think. Uh, If you're really nervous about this situation and um, you can uh, buy some protection cheap, go out to February uh, on the puts, uh, GLD puts, for example. Uh, We have to ask you about Bitcoin because it's all the rage. I know to you it's not a very big deal, but uh, obviously it's a big deal to somebody. Uh, I see it's it's selling at $18,400 as I look at the screen at the moment. Wow. Uh, what are your thoughts about Bitcoin?
3: Well, I don't know. I was very pleased the Wall Street Journal quoted me on it. But uh, my, mm-hmm. my main point on we did an article in Bitcoin before, just before it got to ten thousand, mm-hmm. which is to say, you know, a few minutes ago, no, <laughs> a, yeah, a week ago, and a week or so ago. And the main point I made about it was one: it is a blow off; it's a bubble. There's no question, and there's no telling where it's going to stop. Uh, but that once it does have its crash, its correction. It's going to be real. It will come back mature from a, from a lower level, you know, 50% correction, 80%, whatever. Remember dot-com. Dot-com bubble dropped 89% from the high, but it survived and it matured. And in fact, we now know that that particular segment of the tech industry was far more than we even thought it was. So it survived yeah. its bubble, and I think Bitcoin will survive its breakage of its bubble. Um, Bitcoin and its competing other cryptocurrencies. Uh, Another interesting thing from my history, I was first hired by Hutton in 1975, and that's when gold was legalized. Mm -hmm. And I worked for the chairman of the COMEX at the time. And when gold was legalized in '75, it was at the peak of a bull market that had been going on in the cash market for several years. As soon as futures became available, enough shorting stopped, it, and you made your peak right there, literally, when Mm -hmm. uh, when they started trading in the U.S. And you dropped from $200 down to $103 in a year and a half. Uh, And then gold resurrected itself and went to 800 by 1980. But the point being that once the futures markets commenced trading, there was a vehicle to short it. It was Mm -hmm. a a trusting vehicle. Now, as soon as the real Bitcoin futures start on the Chicago Merck, which I believe is on the 17th, uh, I think at that point it would be very interesting to see if sufficient sellers step in the way and begin to fight this thing and perhaps put a top on it for a correction. Mm -hmm. Uh, it would be very interesting. It's just an anecdotal piece of history, uh, but it happened to gold. As soon as they legalized the futures, bam, it topped. <laughs> and oh, yeah. a year-and-a-half be- decline, almost Be's- 50%.
2: You certainly have to think that at least gold has some intrinsic value, whereas Bitcoin is limited in the amount of Bitcoins that can be out there. I get that. I see why that might make mm-hmm. Bitcoin more valuable than, uh, than fiat money. But nonetheless, what intrinsic value does it have? And uh, certainly there would be a lot of people out there looking to profit on the short side, I would think, given would. this exponential rise, uh, Michael. We're going to have to leave it go at that uh, today. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Thanks so much for spending time with us and uh, providing your wonderful insights. Always welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bye-bye. All right, folks, we do have to go to commercial break, but don't go away because Robert Carrington, uh, the president and CEO of New Range Gold Corp, will be with us to give us an update. He was with us about a month ago. He's got some new things to tell us, I think, about uh, some of the exploration targets uh, that his company uh, has has, uh, set up over the last few weeks. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Robert Carrington.
5: over $200 million.
0: New Range Gold Core is a Canadian junior explorer focused on its recently acquired flagship Pamlico Gold Project, located in Nevada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. Known as one of Nevada's highest-grade gold districts, Pamlico was held by private interests for most of its history and remains largely unexplored. Drilling by New Range is already confirming the legendary grades of the district with intercepts up to 341 grams gold per tonne. Well-financed with no debt. New ranges unlocking shareholder value at Pamlico and trades under TSX symbol NRG. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
2: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. I'm really pleased to have Robert Carrington with me again. He's the president and CEO of New Range Gold Corp. It's uh, trading in Toronto under the symbol NRG. You can buy it in the U.S. as I have under the symbol CMBPF. Uh, 65.5 million shares outstanding, although I think there's uh, pr- potentially some acceleration of shares, some 9.6 million shares that would bring in uh, some additional cash to the company. But uh, as it is, it's 65.5 million shares selling earlier today at least at 33 cents Canadian, giving it a minuscule market cap of $22 million uh, in Canadian money, if, uh, if my calculator is working correctly. Robert, thanks for joining me again today. Jay, thanks for having us. Always good to talk to you, uh, especially about companies that I own shares in. I care a little bit more about those, it seems, for some reason. But um, you you were last on the show on the 21st of November, about a month ago, a little less than that. Uh, And about a week after that, you put out a press release talking about some new targets at your flagship plan project. Uh, What can you tell us about those targets? How did you derive them and what might it mean uh, for your exploration program going forward?
5: Well, the uh, the targets uh, that you refer to are based on a multi-phase, multi-layer geophysical uh, program that we conducted. That program consists of combined airborne mag- magnetometry and radiometric surveys, and a ground-based gravity survey. The uh, Different types of deposits respond differently to to different geophysical techniques, and uh, uh, the uh, air mag and radiometrics strongly indicate, as we mentioned in the press release, that the uh, Pamlico Ridge area is much larger uh, with a much greater uh, strike length than what we had originally anticipated from a simple outcrop uh, mapping. Uh, the geophysics indicates that we're probably looking at something with around a 6-kilometer strike mm. and uh, probably around a kilometer wide. Now, wow. all of that all of that probably won't be mineralized, but there are certainly going to be multiple target zones along that. The uh, air mag and radiometrics also clearly identify the east-west zone as an area of intense alteration. And where that crosses the Pamlico Ridge Zone is obviously a, a very promising target area. Both of those major structures have seen uh, historic production in the 1880s, and so going forward, we're going to be uh, we're extending our, our mapping and sampling to to cover that area. Importantly, uh, uh, certain types of, uh, especially sediment-related deposits. Uh, Both uh, SCARN systems and sediment-hosted gold systems that are, you may refer refer to them broadly as CARLIN-type systems, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, respond very well to certain types of uh, geophysical surveys. A SCARN system commonly will have a a high magnetometry, high radiometric signature, and a high gravity because it's so very dense. Mm -hmm. Um, And in fact... uh, we identified two uh, highly anomalous areas that the geophysical consultant is convinced represent uh, scarn development in the uh, uh, Paleozoic sediments and, or in the, uh, the Mesozoic sediments. I'm sorry, they're on the, mm. on the property. There's a very thick, uh, certain, a couple of thousand foot thick sequence of mm. limestones that are a potential host for scarn type development. Mm. And then some of those same sediments uh, further away exhibit areas of uh, uh, low magnetometry, high radiometric signatures with very low gravity. And mm. the, the low gravity in the, lim- in the carbonate sediments suggests there's a, an alteration called decalcification that is one of the alteration styles that is commonly associated with the development of sediment-hosted gold systems mm-hmm. because all gravity does is measure the density of the rock in the in the near surface, within the top 100 to 200 feet, generally, and so where we see these these gravity lows, by inference, we think we're seeing lower density rock that uh, could be associated with the removal of calcite from the crystal lattice of the limestone, and that commonly happens when you get a mineralizing event in the uh, in the limestone, such as a, a carlin type system. Mm-hmm. So at this point, the gravity is it's extending the volcanic hosted targets that we have, confirming uh, the presence of some very large targets. And then the multi-layered geophysical surveys are also indicating strongly indicating the presence of other deposit types, such as the, hmm. the sediment hosted gold and the possibly even scarn type uh, gold systems. Hmm. And in fact, the uh, one of the strongest uh, anomalies that may be indicating scarn development, is associated with an area of intense uh, bleaching and iron staining of some of the uh, carbonate sediments on the property so it's it's very promising very exciting we have uh, have a lot of work to do uh, on the property to uh, develop drill targets in in some of these areas um, again, the geophysics is a uh, kind of a lead in to uh, the rest of your field work that ultimately results in uh, in drill
2: targeting. yeah. Well, indeed, I, I know that uh, you made a point uh, in your November 6th press release that you've, none of the drilling that you've done so far has taken place on the, uh, on the ridge, on the Pamlico Ridge portion, I think you said. Uh, Robert, do you see this Pamlico Ridge, is this perhaps structurally a very uh, main part of this system, possibly? I
5: I believe it is. I I believe Pamlico Ridge and some of the cross-cutting structures that uh, intersect the Pamlico Ridge uh, structural uh, system are are uh, major uh, targets across the property, and I think we will see multiple uh, centers of mineralization developed along that uh, along that zone.
2: Hmm. You know, you've you've had some remarkably high assays that have been reported the kind of things that in a strong gold bull market anyway would get people very very excited about your stock and indeed your shares did go up to around 70 some cents about half that now which i think uh, you know given what you're telling us now makes it a much better price than it was at 70 cents you know back in july of last year last summer but you know some really high grades i mean like 4.6 meters of 43 grams per ton uh, 6.1 meters of 97.97, almost 98 grams per ton. I mean, but you're still very early days here, aren't you? You don't have a, you don't have a resource yet. Now you have a bigger target. You have more to shoot at. Do you have any idea of of, of you know? Have you put together? Are you in the process now of putting together a drill program for 2018? Yes, we are.
5: Um, I'm actually. Uh, we're we're interviewing. Uh, from the property, I'm on the uh, the backside of Pamlico Ridge right now. And we have uh, crews mapping and sampling underground. And uh, uh, the specific goal is to expand our drill targeting into some of these other target areas. We're going to be drilling one of the areas that we've already, already identified. We don't have specific drill sites uh, uh, permitted or identified yet. But we have decided we're going to be drilling this. Is about a thousand uh, uh, thousand meters away from the uh, area that we have been drilling in, so it's a, a very interesting uh, extension. where uh we've identified a uh, basically a uh, intersection zone with three major mineralized structures coming together in very favorable uh, host rocks in the same latite host rocks that host some of those high grade numbers you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. So it's. Uh, uh, it, I believe, it's going to be a real exciting uh, uh, period. There are a number of historic mine workings from the 1800s that uh, partially uh, explore and develop some of this. Of course, the the old timers in the 1800s were primarily looking for coarse free gold that they could identify with the gold pan, and um, a lot of what we're looking for is stuff they they may very well have missed. So mm-hmm. it uh, we we have. Uh, Tremendous potential here, and the, the interesting thing is, is they just simply drifted in and raised up on the on the high grade uh, zones. Mm-hmm. Um, there there are no workings that go down uh, where we would even be drilling. So, so it's a, it's a real exciting uh, uh, target area. We're also going to be drilling um, about a, a kilometer and a half to the uh, to the south, and that's an area where the historic database has some. Amazing high-grade uh, uh, samples in there. A lot of uh, plus one ounce gold at the surface. Hmm. So we'll oh. we'll see. Uh, hopefully that will extend to depth. We're we're going to be doing a lot of mapping and uh, additional sampling in that area to uh, to target uh, those structures and project. Hopefully be able to project those down through the uh, the rhyolite cap and into the uh, uh, more favorable latite sequence at depth.
2: All right. Well, it's, it's going to be very exciting. Maybe you can just tell our listeners, uh, you have, you're in Nevada, The infrastructure is really good, your energy costs are, I, I suppose, very favorable. Uh, some of those are considerations longer term, of course. First, you've got to outline the gold and the, the resource there and, and start doing the economics, and you've got a lot of work to do. Metallurgy, have you done any metallurgy yet? We haven't done any metallurgy.
5: That's actually... Uh, one of the things that we'll be getting started later this year, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, before the uh, before uh, January first, we'll be mm-hmm. delivering composite samples from our drilling to uh, McClellan, McClellan laboratory, laboratories for cyanide uh, uh, solubility work. It'll be a combination of bottle rolls and probably a column leach test
4: mm-hmm. to
5: uh, to determine the uh, amenability to uh, cyanide leaching. And some of the higher-grade zones will probably have the uh, laboratory go ahead and do um, uh, more detailed cyanide uh, leach test on to see what it would behave like in a mill. But so far, the gold seems to be very fine-grained, and I suspect we're going to get excellent recovery in mm-hmm. a, uh, uh, a heap leach
2: environment. So that, that's mm-hmm. why we'd be going with the columns. Yeah, you mentioned that the oxidation is quite deep there, I believe you said, right, the last time we spoke? Uh, Extremely deep, yes, it's
5: yeah. the, the deepest oxidation I've ever seen anywhere uh, on mm-hmm. any project I've worked on, um, we've drilled two stratigraphic test holes that both indicate the oxidation level extends to more than two hundred meters. That'd be wow. about six hundred and thirty feet so oh that's, very, that's very a very deep level
2: and yeah, those are the kinds of things that people might not be aware of that could be very, very beneficial and your yeah and your infrastructure issues are, are really very positive there too, for you, I guess, right. Oh, they are the
5: yeah. Um, yeah, you're you're correct on all all points there. The uh, infrastructure is, is phenomenal. We're literally 15 minutes outside of the uh, the town of Hawthorne, Nevada. Actually, from where I'm parked, uh, speaking to you, I'm looking down the canyon and directly out into uh, Hawthorne, Nevada.
4: Hmm.
5: it's, it's right. amazing from the hotel we stay in if you know where to look. Yeah. You can actually see the target we're going to be
2: drilling in 2018. <laughs> Interesting. Well, that's really, uh, with a minute left yet, Robert, uh, you do have some assets in, in Colombia. Uh, anything going on with those, and, and might they be monetized to help you finance uh, exploration in this project?
5: We're certainly exploring opportunities to monetize those. Um, the only work we're really doing is I have an independent consultant working on the uh, drill data from Ural Molito to see if, in his opinion, Euromolito is at a point where we could uh, uh, initiate a 43-101 resource assessment. And if if he indicates that he thinks we can do that, then we'll we'll go ahead and initiate a maiden resource assessment for Euromolito.
2: Hmm. All right. And do you have all your drill results back yet?
5: Um, no, we don't. And we've hmm. do, we're doing some, uh, some checking on some of the other results I imagine we'll see the remainder of the results come out in early uh, early January of 2018.
2: Okay, and the, when might uh, we uh, w- when might we get a uh, uh, when might you talk about your program, your exploration program? How soon do you think you might have that for us?
5: Um, that's going to depend largely upon the the project manager. He's a, a very accomplished geologist. Mm-hmm. Many people may know of him. His name is Nate Tewalt. He, uh, he discovered the Hollister mine that Condex now operates, and mm-hmm. he's been involved in uh, the, a number of other discoveries and uh, has been a, a senior executive, or the chief executive, actually, of the, some very successful uh, companies, one being Great Basin Gold, and mm-hmm. another one being uh, uh, a, a uranium company that uh, he took from about 70 cents to about almost $8, I believe. Mm-hmm. So. Um, but anyway, Nate, uh, Nate's really in charge of the detailed exploration on the project. We're going to be meeting this afternoon, and as soon as we get some uh, some good structural uh, mapping completed, we'll be selecting the other uh, drill targets. I would anticipate uh, some guidance either in very late December or early January.
2: Okay, good. We'll look forward to that for sure. Uh, we're going to have to leave a go at that, uh, Robert, because we are out of time. It is is the most exciting story i must say and one that i'm watching very carefully thank you so much for being oh. with us today and uh, we'll look to do it again sometime hopefully in the not too distant future yes outstanding thank you jay all right that's um uh, thank you robert well folks we do have to go to break now but don't go oh, away first time uh... on this show charles Hugh smith will be with us uh... some very interesting ideas about uh... the cost of living um, well what's uh, what's impacting and why is the middle class disappearing from america uh, what can you do about it to protect yourself? Well, these are the kinds of things we want to look to Charles Hugh Smith for. Really, really excited about having him here. Uh, don't go away. We'll be right back with Charles Hugh Smith.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice
6: America.
0: Its flagship assets are located in the Karatha region of Western Australia, where they are currently drilling and trenching their Purdy's reward project. In addition, Novo has partnered with Sumitomo Mining Corporation to advance its Beaton's Creek Gold project toward production. With over $70 million in cash and strong shareholder support from the likes of Kirkland Lake Gold, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. A gold rush has begun. Recently, three of the largest gold mining companies announced strategic acquisitions in the Yukon territories. Ahead of them was a group who had already consolidated the key claims covering the historic Klondike Gold Rush into one company, aptly named Klondike Gold Corps. Led by a team of accomplished geoscientists, the company is steadily advancing exploration to reveal the rich source of all that gold. The hunt for the next major discovery is well underway, and Klondike Gold's shareholders are strategically positioned. Stay ahead of the majors and follow klondikegoldcorp.com. Bonterra Resources, a Canadian exploration company, is aggressively expanding its high-grade Gladiator Gold deposit in Quebec, Canada. In 2017, Bonterra raised $40 million and attracted strategic investors Eric Sprott Kinross, Kirkland Lake Gold, and New York-based Vanek Gold Fund. Bonterra is focused on updating its 43-101 resource model in 2018 and will incorporate up to an additional 100,000-plus meters of drilling where the dimensions of the Gladiator gold deposit has been expanded to date nearly 500%. Bonterra trades in Canada under the symbol BTR and in the U.S. under B-O-N-X-F. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
1: You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor.
2: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time Charles Hugh Smith. I've been picking up on Charles' work primarily. Uh, I've accessed it through Zero Hedge over the past couple of years, and his work has resonated very truthfully to me, and it's, it's I found it to be very helpful, uh, and I suggested to my wife, Teresa, who helps me uh, greatly on this show, to see if we could get Charles on the show, and she was able to do that, so I'm delighted that he's with us today now while i uh, have learned to know charles through zero hedge uh, you can go directly to of2minds.com of2minds.com he's got a blog there he uh, he has several books that he sells through that website and also um, is something called his musings that are there uh, very worthwhile. So you don't have to go through Zero Hedge, uh, but you can go directly to of dot com. Charles is uh, also a contributing editor to peakprosperity.com, which, of course, uh, listeners of this show are, are very familiar with. Uh, Chris Martinson was on with us just a couple of weeks back. Uh, Charles is the author of numerous books, including uh, Why Everything is Falling Apart, An Unconventional Guide uh, to Investing in Troubled Times. And his latest book is titled Money and Work Unchained, in which he addresses the ideas of universal basic income, uh, which I want to ask him about momentarily. Charles, thanks for joining me today. It's my pleasure, Jay. Really good to have you with me. uh, While you're closer here, you're on the mainland. You live in Hawaii part of the time and in California part of the time. So we caught you uh, when when you're in our country. Well, yes. (laughs) I don't know if it's our country. Hawaii is our country too, but it seems so detached in some ways, and culturally so different. I suppose. Um, Before we begin talking about some of the items I'd like to ask you about today, inflation being one of them, other matters of the day um, that are related to that, um, can you give us an overview of your of your latest book and tell our listeners? Where and how they can I guess they can purchase it at of minds dot com, but talk to us a little bit about uh, your latest book, uh, Money and work unchanged Unchained,
6: Unchained. Um, okay jay um the the reason why I wrote the book uh, was a lot of my readers have been asking for my opinion on universal basic income, which mm-hmm. is uh, as we all know, it's been getting a lot of uh, publicity by a lot of high um uh, High-profile individuals like Bill Gates and mm-hmm. um, another uh, tech billionaires that this is the solution to automation replacing human labor and, and you basically uh, wiping out tens of millions of jobs is to give every person every adult um, like a thousand dollars a month. Mm-hmm. The amount, of course, can vary, but uh, and this this will give people the means to uh, continue, you know, paying their essential bills. Um, and this is considered the solution, and I, I, I question that because I think what we really need as human beings is we need meaningful work and, a, and right. a positive social role, and so what I propose is what we should guarantee is meaningful work and and a positive social role in our community, that a chance to earn money and and earn a livelihood and earn self respect and not just give us a check.
2: Hmm. Yeah. I mean, what what is life if? Uh... You just have money coming in. What, what's the purpose of it all? Aren't we supposed to be? I mean, I, I know that um, you know, I feel happiest when I feel like I'm doing something useful for others, uh, not
6: just collecting money. Uh, I'm sure you feel the same. I think it's a universal, and I'm I'm sort of surprised that so many people see uh, this uh, free money, uh, universal basic income, as a solution. They they seem not to notice that that humans actually are social animals, and we want to contribute to our community, and and earn earn our way, not just uh, you know live off um, robots or, or <laughs> whatever yeah. whatever the source of all this money is supposed to be.
2: Oh, I can uh, can't imagine it. Well, that's, uh, I think certainly an interesting book, and and maybe once I have a chance to to read it, uh, we have you back on, and we could ask you some more about it, talk about it some more, because I think it's. But uh, again, it's of two minds. Com. If you pick up a copy of the book there, and I think you have it, it's both uh, electronic and hard copy, right?
6: Yeah, and it's on Amazon. Com along with all my other books.
2: Good, excellent. All right. Well, um, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about the cost of uh, the cost of living. In fact. You wrote a a piece on December 5th. The cost basis for our economy is spinning out of control. Um, You know, we've had John Williams, I don't know if you know John Williams, an independent economist on this show, and he's pointed out the, um, you know, he's been a critic of the government's inflation numbers, hedonic pricing, substitution, various other gimmicks that are used uh, to make it look as if the cost of living isn't going up very much. We're, We're told that it's around, you know, it's less than 2%. The Fed wants to get it up want actually inflation to increase to 2% or something like that. We're told it's much lower than that. But judging from an art, from your article on December 5th, I think you think it's already much higher than 2%, at least
6: for most average people, is that right? Right. Um, and again, trying to sort through the data is always a challenge because it's often, uh, as John uh, has pointed out, it's been adjusted in ways that are opaque to us normal people. Mm-hmm. But uh, I've, I've read studies um, in which uh, the rate seems to be, if, if you include places where rents are rising and the cost of, of housing is rising, um, that the rate is more like 7% a year. Uh, mm-hmm. At least for those households that are exposed to um, health care costs which are rising steadily and and rents or or higher housing costs,
2: yeah, you uh, in your article, you pointed out health care is really a big one. Uh, and And what I found really interesting is a massive departure uh, in terms of the the well, the ratio of doctors to administrators. Uh, is that is that a big part of the reason that healthcare is going up so much? This infrastructure, the the people, the regulators, the reporting that needs to be done, or what, what's co- what's going on here?
6: Well, if you speak to people in the healthcare industry, both the insurance side and also the caregivers, you know the doctors and nurses, they all complain about the uh, tremendous increase in in paperwork and paper mm-hmm. shuffling. And um, so, some estimates are that roughly half of all of our healthcare expenses in America are related to counterclaims and claims and paper shuffling, along with the fraud that um, often goes undetected in our system. But I I think my larger point here, um, Jay, was that um, in times of widespread prosperity, Mm -hmm. costs are low. And we saw this in America in the 50s and 60s. And if you go back, you can go back as far as the, the, the Roman Empire. And, in the, and when, it, when, when prosperity was widespread in ancient cultures as well as modern cultures, prices are low. And money is sound and inflation is modest. And you can see historical examples, as I say, going back several thousand years or as recently as uh, 19th century Britain, where prices didn't really change for for most of the 19th century. Mm
1: -hmm. So you
6: got to keep more of your money in the sense that your money retained its purchasing power and you actually could save or invest some because costs were uh, stable and and low.
2: Yeah. Well, we certainly, um, sound money is certainly, we don't, certainly something we don't know anything about these days, and the people at the Federal Reserve don't know about it or don't want to know about it. I don't know. What What are your thoughts? Why have we gone off track? I, I'm old enough to remember when we still had a quasi gold standard. I remember very plainly uh, reading the New York Times coming from New Jersey into New York City uh, the day after Nixon spoke to the nation, and we went off the gold standard temporarily, he said. Um, and ever since then, of course, we've seen credit cards start to become common, Um, credit and debt growing exponentially. As a matter of fact, debt is one of the items in your article that you pointed out. It's just growing student debt and other things. Um, How do we get back to sound money? I mean, there doesn't seem to be any sense of it because uh, most people don't, you know, most economists even, they think that times are good when prices are rising.
6: Right. And it it uh, that works well if wages are rising at a faster rate than costs. but mm-hmm. if if, as we all know, the wages for about the bottom ninety percent of the American uh, population have not really risen for at least a decade or fifteen years. and And in some measurements, it's it's been thirty years since there were actual uh, increases in household income. Earned income. Mm-hmm. So, um, it, what we have is the worst of all possible worlds, if you will, which is stagnant wages and uh, rapidly rising. Um, essential costs. In other yes. words, it's, we're not talking about the cost of new shoes or something. Right. And of course, the, the, everyone likes to point out, well, the cost of new TVs is, is declining, but you know, you need a new TV every few years and it costs like $200. But what about healthcare that, that can cost tens of thousands per year or a college education which can cost $100,000 mm-hmm. um, or rent a, a, or a house uh, which, which can, so we're talking about the big ticket items here. Yeah. You know, the ones that you can't really um, escape, mm-hmm. um, and so if those are soaring in price, our cost, then uh, we have a real problem. And I think that's what the Fed is is failing to recognize as as the core issue here. And and so then we go back to your question about uh, the the ratio of administrators to. To uh, to actual healthcare staff, and we see the same thing in higher education. That uh, there's charts that show the huge increase in the number of, of highly paid administrators in in uh, colleges and universities, and while the number of people actually in the classroom has been you know stagnant, <laughs> it hasn't gone anywhere. Well, it seems
2: to me that you know the notion, and again, I'm old enough to remember when not everybody went to college, and and um, I was pretty much at that at the time when more and more people started going, um, went to Rutgers and, and then to um, Baruch College in New York City to get my master's degree. But um, there, there, there seems, it seems to be a racket. It it just seems to be like everybody's got to go to college and who cares if you learn anything? That doesn't matter. Uh, you know, if you're not taught to think, that doesn't matter. Just get that piece of paper. And then by golly, you should be assured of, you know, streets paved with gold, I guess, and. How did we get into this, how did we get into this racket if you agree that it is a racket? It seems to be like a racket to me.
6: Right, right. Um, I think I think it's um, undeniable once you look at the numbers. And uh, there was a big study called Academically Adrift, which found that um, roughly half of all college students really didn't learn all that much, you know, in their four years. So obviously the system is not really, uh, is not achieving its, its educational goals and its uh, burdening You know, whole generation with extremely high student loans, but um, you know, I think we can maybe look at why why are these rackets continuing? Why is there Mm -hmm. no real competition in the in higher education? Why is there so little competition in healthcare? And so, I think uh, my answer is: well, we've allowed these cartels to basically um, uh, gain political and financial power. And so, you know, a cartel is is means like it's a it's all the competitors agree on a price. Mm -hmm. And so there's no they they basically limit competition to sort of like a little kind of a little bit just for for public relations purposes. But um, they maintain the prices as they continue to go up and up and up, which is what we see in in higher education and healthcare.
2: Yes, indeed. In fact, there was a physician that spoke to us, a free market-orientated physician who operates. He and his partners operate a, a hospital in Oklahoma City that is really free market. All the prices are there. You want uh, you know, a surgery of some kind or another. You know what it's going to cost you. The doctor knows what he's going to get out of it and everything. It's really a very different model. And he talked about how insurance companies are not at all interested in keeping costs down. They basically just pass it on. And um, uh, you know, they, they're basically, uh, they will mark something up and then pretend that they're giving you a, a great discount. Like if you go to to a store and buy a shirt for 80 bucks and they mark it down to 29, you say, wow, what a deal I've gotten. Well, it should never have been anywhere near 80 to start with. But there's that kind of non-lack of competition that seems to be so much a part of what's going on. And I, I just wonder if if you don't think if we had a more mo- or a sound monetary system, uh, where money wasn't created out of thin air, and people had to start dealing with the scarcity of money, if that might not also be a solution, although I don't hold my breath in terms of expecting the Fed or anybody to go back to that sort of a of a mon- honest monetary system. Would that help?
6: <laughs> I think definitely it would, in in the sense that uh, we wouldn't be relying on on um, credit to save us. In other you words, know. the the solution now is. Well, the federal government should borrow another trillion dollars and yeah. and give it away to somebody, and then that's the solution. Uh, well, you know the problem with credit, as we all know, is um, debt has um, interest; it accrues interest, and you have to pay principal and interest. And so, even even the government, despite its you know tremendous size, um, eventually you know you, you get eaten alive um, if if you're living on on borrowed money, and uh, that's the the long term concern. Uh, with economists looking at the federal debt and as well as corporate debt and household debt is eventually all of your future earnings are devoted to servicing debt and you don't have anything left to invest in the future and that may be one reason why productivity uh, has been declining or stagnating mm-hmm. in, in the us like we're not we're not investing wisely we seem to be spending our way um, into a hole rather than um, investing in in productive uh, assets and training?
2: Well, the answer, of course, is just to suppress interest rates. That's the answer we're given. Just, you know, the economy is slow. What you do is just uh, drive interest. You create more money out of nothing, flood the markets, push the interest rates down, right? That's what they've been doing. How can that come to an end? Which sort of leads me to another topic I'd like to ask you about. You've written uh, more recently, I think even perhaps today, you, you wrote on a blog, Three Bubbles uh, Slash Strikes and You're Out. You're sort of suggesting that you know, if the, for those people that are expecting that the uh, that the Fed and the central banks can can bubble their way out of trouble again. This being the third bubble, the first being the dot-com, the next the housing bubble, and now the central banker bubble. Uh, it, your your article sort of suggests that there's sort of ultimately self um, self-correcting dynamics in play in markets that cannot be cannot be uh, overcome by more of the same bad policies. Do I have that right?
6: Yeah, absolutely Jay. I love your uh, phrase self-correcting dynamics because that's exactly what we're talking about is there there are inner limits uh, to mm-hmm. this idea that you keep extending credit to more marginal borrowers and more marginal enterprises and that it's all going to work out because as we all know the the, the classic business cycle is basically a credit cycle where um, credit becomes available and credit-worthy borrowers are able to borrow and then they leverage that new money into uh, uh, new houses and productive investments. Where at the end of the credit cycle, uh, which is where a lot of people feel we are now, then credit is being extended to uncreditworthy people who are basically uh, have marginal qualifications to borrow more money than they already have. And so um, those are the people and the enterprises which are most likely to default, right? as soon as as soon as there's a pullback or a mild recession or their income declines, um or there's a family emergency, or the the enterprise is no longer profitable. Any kind of uh, disruption, uh, will cause them to default, and then then, then the, those defaults tend to um, domino, right? As
4: mm-hmm.
6: as people lose their jobs, and they default, and then and once the businesses that they were supported by those people's spending, then their income declines, and so on. So this is a normal business cycle, and it's been um, basically delayed or pushed forward uh, by the Federal Reserve's action of just. Yeah, as you say, super low interest rates and, and uh, unlimited liquidity. So the marginal borrowers and lenders have all been kept afloat. Um, and they have, they're actually dragging the whole economy down because they're, they're, they're dead weight. They're not really, um, they're not really supporting productive investment. They've, they've, uh, it's been consumption, but consumption is not investment.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh, that's all they know though, basically. And, um, one other topic i'd like to ask uh, ask you to comment on briefly um is the the dot com or let's say the uh the bitcoin the bitcoin markets now uh you you had another very interesting article uh you know what uh what will uh, what will take uh, or i forget exactly how it was what will Self-destruct first, will it be Bitcoin or fiat currencies? That's not exactly the title, but that's the idea, I think, behind it. With the last couple of minutes left here, can you just comment on that article, perhaps pass along to our listeners uh, what you were saying there?
6: Yeah, I of course, we're all interested in the Bitcoin cryptocurrency phenomenon, and we all know that actually nobody knows exactly how it's going to play out because this is a very new technology. I mean, it's like eight years old, right? It's kind of like predicting the Internet in 1995 or something. It, mm-hmm. It's very... We're all guessing, and so I, I think uh, we should always be s- skeptical of anybody's, um, you know, so-called expert opinion about how it's going to play out. We don't know, and I think I think for those of us that live through the dot com bubble, um, we can't really tell yet whether cryptocurrencies and and Bitcoin are like the pets dot um, version, you know, like some yeah. kind of um, grand idea that that didn't actually pan out and and went bust. Or are they, is it sort of like Amazon, which was um, an idea that actually uh, you know, has uh, taken off and become a, a dominant industry? So uh, there's a lot of opinion on all sides. Um, and it certainly, to me, has the potential to become not the equivalent of Amazon, but a, an integral part of, of our economy.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, you certainly do point out that uh, at least Bitcoin is limited in the number of units it can be created. I think you mentioned that in the article. Whereas the dollar has unlimited amounts of, uh, you know, it's infinite in its uh, numbers. It can be created the quantity of money. So that that's one thing it has going for it. But boy, uh, the, both of them are, what is the intrinsic value of both of them? And that's that's a big question, I guess, Uh well, anyway, uh, Charles, I want to thank you very much for being with us today. We are uh, basically out of time. It's uh, of two minds dot com. I would uh, really suggest strongly to my listeners to go there, learn to know uh, Charles and what he's writing about. And Charles, you're. Your work is basically uh, paid for by, by people who donate. They, they find your work worthwhile, and they contribute to it. And I know my wife uh, sent a small check to you because she loves your work and, and finds it to be, as do I. I just I, Every time I see you on Zero Hedge, I, I grab it and read it, and I will be going to your website to read it as well. So thank you very much for being with us. Uh, very good to have you, and I look forward to doing it again sometime.
6: Me too, Jay. Thank you so much for such an informed uh, series of questions and topics. I I loved it.
2: All right. Thank you so much. Well, folks, uh, that is all the time we have this week. Next week, Richard Mayberry will be with us. And also, uh, I think Michael Oliver will be with us as well. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you.
1: Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor.